0: Hello, how are you all doing? We good. Don't you just love those clapping in moments when we clap in the staff? The awkward faces are just absolute gold. Uh, love it. Um, so Pete called me not too long ago Um and just said, hey, Tommy, we've been in this really um, theologically deep series, really intellectual, um, expanding the mind, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and, and we just need to sort of like bring it down a level on the old intellectual front. You'd be perfect, mate. you up for it. Um, not sure what that says about me. Um, actually, I know exactly what it says about me. Um, but we've been in this series in, on, called Truth and Life. So that's been exploring the scriptures how we read them uh, what it is what it um says about life today and how we find ourselves in the story um and what it does in terms of like how we make our decisions how we live our lives um So we've been immersing ourselves in the story. We've seen that God reveals his heart through um, a a number of ways. Sermons, genealogies, prayers, letters, poems, proverbs, all carried through story. And so we've been immersing ourselves in this story uh, to get to really know the story of the Bible, the story of God. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating Christmas. So celebrating the story of Jesus, and we're going to be inviting others in to share with us in that. And throughout the Bible, God promised the advent, so the coming of his son. And this is obviously one of the most important uh, moments in history, in human history, especially for us, obviously, for those of us who count ourselves as Christians. Um, The creator of the universe, a creator God, becoming human, living among us, and then suffering on our behalf in order to give us life and life in all its fullness. And so I think just ahead of that, um, I've been given free reign by the way, tonight, which might be a bad idea. Um, but we'll see how we go. And um, I just wanted us to like stop. And as it is, this moment of Advent, it gives us a chance to like stop and ask the question, where do we see ourselves in that story? Like, what is our hope in? Where do we put our hope? And um, are we buzzing, like fully alive and hungry in terms of, this faith that we're talking about or are we confused and are we a bit overwhelmed and just not sure where it all sits with us so the question i guess to start i guess is yeah what story are we living in and what's our place in it what's the lens through which we try and go about our day-to-day life what's the dominating influence in our life at the moment and i believe that god is is doing this but he wants to increase in us as individuals as as a church a creative confidence in the story that we belong in, and so that we have the creative confidence to share that beyond this, beyond the wall. He wants to expand our vision uh, of who he is, what he's done for us, so that this hunger uh, that we're seeing and that we're talking of uh, wouldn't be just contained to these four walls, uh, but would be for the city. Uh, In Hebrews 11, we read, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So do we have confidence in what we hope for? Because what we hope for shapes what we live for, and then that will shape the future that we long to see. And at a time of uncertainty, anxiety, confusion, exhaustion, when the current scripts don't really seem to be making sense and adding up, I think God wants to reveal his heart of redemption and welcome everyone into this story of hope, of peace, of joy. And love and so as John said um my job is comms manager at KXE. and um, still working out what that looks like on a day-to-day basis um but started nearly three years ago and I remember so that moment we talked about the, the clapping moment I remember that when that was me uh thoroughly awkward um and I remember Pete saying the story we tell no the, the story let me get this right um <laughs> The greatest story, whoever, te- who- this was it, whoever tells the best story, you can see why I'm a commons manager, uh, whoever tells the best story shapes the culture, whoever tells the best story gets to shape the culture, and I was like, whoa, big pressure, like I just wanted to work with my mates, um, but something in that did really, it captivated me, because I've invited people along to church, I've invited people along to church events, and you might be someone here who's come for the first time, and you're like... Oh, I didn't even know this was going on. And I I don't know if any of you have been in that kind of situation. And it's like that kind of breaks my heart a bit because it means it made me feel like, oh, we're not doing a good enough job of telling our story. Like when people come to an event and they're like, Wow, there's these all these people like on far, they've found something, they've found the thing that I'm longing for. And yet I never knew it was there. I never knew it existed. And so that I guess became my motivation. Um, in terms of like what I wanted to try and step out and do in the role and just support the different people that are doing loads of different things within the team to try and see how we can like tell the story better and, and take it uh, beyond the church. Anna, a few weeks ago, um, read this quote. Glasses? <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't meant to be a funny moment. They, I do need them. Um, but I do look clever with them. Uh, neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society rather you must tell a new powerful tale one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story one so inclusive that it gathers all the bits of our past and our present into a coherent whole one that even shines some light into the future so that we can take the next step if you want to change a society then you have to tell an alternative story That was by um, Ivan Illich, (laughs) former Roman Catholic priest. Um, And so when I started this role, I was also a journalist at the time. Take the glasses off. Um, I was also a journalist at the time. And the first things when you train as a journalist, um, this is the first thing that I got taught, which was if it bleeds, it leads. Sex and scandal, second, always follow the money. And that's like in terms of what stories get the attention, what stories get told first, what stories get pushed out across the nation. Um, and I don't know about you, but like that's depressing, isn't it? Like ultimately, what what stories that are the most like drenched in pain, drenched in tragedy, drenched in destruction? Those are the stories that we're going to sell. So. Yeah, it's it's pretty depressing. And sorry, I just remember the first story that I worked on, but I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna share. Um, media media has this power to shape the culture, determining the narrative, I guess, to some extent through these largely negative news stories and even fake news. But on the other hand, like I was in this church world, so like this amazing good news, but not. It seemed with the platform with which to reach people. We look like just this last week. There's been headlines in the news: UK parties not being honest with the electorate. The think tank says the Institute of Fiscal Studies, suggesting that all the main parties in the UK general election are seeking to deceive voters and be dishonest about some of their pledges. So there's this distrust around us. I don't know if you can feel it. We're like we're all like, where do we? Who do we trust? What do we trust? Where do we find? Meaning, you just need to type crisis into Google. I did this, and, and this is just the last few days. These, these are the crises we're in. Brexit, climate, immigration, pension, Korean Peninsula, capitalism, health, overcrowding, drugs, financial crisis, mental health, arsenal, housing, <laughs> vaping, cheese. We're even in a cheese crisis. So I don't know if you knew this. Um, the, title was, the, the headline was Halloumi Hell, how will we survive the cheese crisis? <laughs> just from the last few days. So we're in these crises. In the Evening Standard, I don't know, some of you may have read this, I walked past um, and it broke my heart, but I walked past and it, it said, we are in a crisis. The headline, London in 2019 is one of the world's greatest and most prosperous cities, yet tens of thousands of people do not have a safe place to sleep. So we're bombarded with these stories and these narratives of pain, hate, fear, division, and like Of course, we have to engage with these stories. These are real issues, and um, these are things that we have to speak into. Um, But also, we've got to tell a better story. We have a better story to tell. So we looked at the Bible. I've got a new one. (laughs) You can probably tell where I've got it from. (laughs) Bargain. Um, If you are here for a first time and you don't own a Bible... Then do take it, do take one from the pews. Okay, so I've been looking at John's Gospel. Um, And so in John's Gospel, we're we're given these like seven signs, seven miracles, uh, and seven I am sayings which point towards the character of God, the heart of God, and essentially pointing to Jesus as the Messiah. And so I want to look at one one story which you'll probably all know really well, and we've all uh, probably grown up knowing this story. And it's and it's one of the most popular stories: so the feeding of the five thousand, the only mir- miracle to appear in all four gospels, apart from the resurrection. Little fact for you there. Okay, so if you've got your Bibles, it is page one thousand sixty-nine for the KXC ones. John six. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the near far shore of the Sea of Galilee and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing those who were ill. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Stitch up. (laughs) Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, make the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that space and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Uh, so many more uh, women and children, it's believed. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over, and let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Sometimes when we've heard a story so many times, it seems to lose its power a bit. And sometimes it fails to cut through the noise as much when we're so bombarded with the other stories and the other things that are swirling around in our lives. But this story... This is a sign that like points to the power of God. It points to the character of God, and it points to the character of Jesus. And I think sometimes, like we know, like feeding of five thousand, how'd you do that? Five loaves of bread, a couple of fish, and and it kind of like washes over a bit because we've been immersed in so many other stories in our lives. But this story is a story of a crowd of people who had little in common, I imagine, except that they were hungry. Hungry for food, hungry for healing, hungry for truth, and hungry for a new story, for something else. It's also the story of a crowd of people who were fed, their needs were met, and much more. And as we look to the... like. Some of the moments uh, there's so many different things you can unpack in this story, and you could do a huge theological analysis, but I've not got it in the locker. So I'm, I'm, I'm not going to start and try. but if we just look at this interaction, we're like, Jesus knows what he's going to do. And the disciples, they're seeing this like through the lens exactly that we'd see it, or exactly that I'd see it, like a worldly lens. They've been close to Jesus, but they're seeing it through a worldly perspective. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each to have just one bite. Here is a boy with five barley loaves and two small fish, but how will they go so far among so many? They're overwhelmed by the situation, focusing on the lack, focusing on, on what they think that they need not the confidence in what they know that God can deliver. Uh, N.T. Wright says that nothing in John's gospel is there by accident. Uh, So in these studies, we discover the clues that John gives that we might see even more clearly the reality of who Jesus is, the new creation he inaugurates, Inaugurates? Inaugurates. Uh, and the difference that it all makes. And so there's this moment when they see this boy, and I don't like, I don't know where this boy was in all of this, if he was just nearby and he was like overhearing this conversation and was like, I've got this, like, no, that's silly, but like, could it, could it, I. I, I, I like, that's not obviously for me to decide, uh, but this boy is described as, in the Greek word, is described as a little boy, so he's not just a boy, uh, but he's a little boy, and... Um, like me, and, um, and children were quite low on the social ladder those days. And what's more, he had these barley loaves and barley loaves uh, were the food of the poor. So he's almost at the bottom of the barrel. Insignificant by society's standards. But as Jesus looks and sees what is in his hand, he's like, that's more than enough. That's more than enough. These stories, I think, are told... <clears throat> to enable us to find ourselves in it. And I don't know about you, but I can definitely identify uh, with it. I can identify with the disciples in this, in the sense that I wouldn't have thought this was enough. I, can, I, I, I would be too completely overwhelmed. And if I'm being honest, like this whole talk, this whole thing, is coming from a place of discontentment. Um, it's coming from a place of like confusion and trying to find like sense of things, like a bit of a just dissatisfaction uh, with the with the things that are bombarding us, the news stories we're reading, Twitter, social media feed. Sometimes, like even like my role in it, and I'm working for a church, right? Um, but like, what what is it that I'm doing which is providing meaning? I don't know if any of you. Uh, Can identify with that, and I think part of the problem is if we become so overwhelmed by these things, like dragging us in in different directions, it's very hard to like focus and 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 see the story that we actually belong to. I was um, reading this magazine article the other day about podcasts. Uh, Who who listens to podcasts? Just raise a hand. So few. but this, this uh, experiment it was, it showed a picture of the brain of what happens when you listen to stories and what happens when you listen to podcasts. And it was amazing in one sense because the brain just lit up. It was like all these different parts of the brain, I uh, don't know what they're called, but they were, they were like alive, they were lit up. Such is the power of telling a story that it lights up all these different parts of a brain that just normal information doesn't do. But at the same time, the point that the experiment, or the article at least, was making <clears throat> was that we're more bombarded than ever before with these different stories. And, our, and it, what it does is it creates a hum, a constant hum in your brain. And I don't know if you're like me, but when I listen to a podcast, it's not like time... I don't, it's time between stuff. So it's time like where otherwise I probably wouldn't be doing much, so I'd be like travelling, or I'd be um, just doing nothing, or I'd be like brushing, tip my teeth, or I don't know something. So I'm filling that time with more stories, with more like information, with more stuff, which is constantly making my brain hum. And one of the things that I've noticed, and I don't think this is a thing which I've struggled with in the past, but it's one of the things, one of the narratives of the world right now which I can feel like impacting me is the idol of productivity. Like, we're told we have to do this, we have to do that, we have to be on top of everything, we have to um, bring our best in every way, we've got to like make sure our routines and everything's sort, sort out. And productivity is good, right? Efficiency is good. But when it becomes an idol... I think what it actually reveals is a fear. It's a fear of lack. It's a fear of not enough. It's a fear of like, oh, if I don't get this done, then I'm not going to be this, or I'm not going to have achieved this, or so-and-so is not going to like me, or I'm not going to get to where I want to. And like, that's all good stuff, but when it becomes crippling, and when it becomes paralyzing, and when it prevents us from seeing the truth and the story that we belong to, it becomes debilitating. And we can sort of see this in the story. What it leads to is a worldly view, because the worldly views are the ones which become the strongest. I remember walking um, down from the office the other day, and it was, um, I think it was just like starting to impact me. And I don't know if you had the, these moments where it's like, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, I need this, I need to do that, I need to do that, and then I need to do that, and I need to do this. I'm not, I'm, honestly, I'm not that busy. <laughs> I, know, I know people are far more busy than me. And then it just hit me when I got to Pizza Union, as it often does. I need the presence of God. Like, none of this other stuff is going to cut it. What I got was a Vesuvio, the pepperoni one. Um, but what I need is the presence of God. As we see this hunger, like, increasing... Around us and we talk about here at church we talk about a season of adventure a season of pioneering a season of joy what does it look like when we don't quite that doesn't quite ring true for us if we don't quite see ourselves in it or we feel it we feel the hunger rising and we feel but we like we don't know what we're going to do with it like we come here on a sunday and it's like you know we're doing all the moves and like the spirit's moving and and we've got our hands in the air, but then it's like a very different story as soon as we walk out the door. And I just want to say, like, if that is you, you're not alone. Um, this story is a story of 5,000 others, all hungry, all searching. The little boy, like the lowest of the low in society's eyes. The disciples who haven't quite grasped what it looks like to see things through Jesus' eyes. There's 5,000 people all with their stories, all hungry, all searching for meaning. And as we look around the room, it's the same here. And like we've just got to encourage each other. And when someone has captured it, when someone has got the, the fight, then like look to them and just say, hey, can, can I have a bit of what you have? Um, and ask them, ask for encouragement. Psalm 46 verse 10 says, be still and know that I'm God. And this is written in a time of trouble and war. And so it's, it's an encouragement to reflect and to stop and be still and, and reflect on who God is. But it's also a wake-up call to be in awe of the story that we belong to, the story before us. In this age of distraction, we need to stop striving, we need to stop fighting, and we need to be present. We read that Jesus went up onto the mountainside to sit down with his disciples at the start and at the finish of this story. At the end, he sits down, he, with, he withdraws. He withdraws to be with his Father because he knows that's what he needs most. So we need to be present and attentive to God so that he might reveal his heart and so that we might know uh, what his heart is for us. <clears throat> and we need to embrace our weaknesses. We need to embrace our limits, our lowliness. So where we see lack and see what's missing, we see that Jesus gave thanks. And there was abundant provision. There was more than enough. Thankfulness opened up new possibilities and new way of thinking. The expectation and hope of this story, the feeding of the 5,000, is that when we bring who we are and what we have before Jesus, he'll do something new. He'll open up new possibilities, creative possibilities, far beyond the understanding that the world's given us. Far greater, but a redemptive vision which should give us this creative confidence. And creative confidence um, can be described as a, a way of seeing new possibilities and potential, to see our place in the world more clearly, unclouded by anxiety and doubt. Like this anxiety and doubt, it may exist, but unclouded by. So when we believe that God can do what we believe God can do with who we are and what we already have. and There's, this, this is a, this, there's a book called Creative Confidence, and it's actually spe, spe, speaking to uh, entrepreneurs and, and business people. But it says this, uh, this is a quote from David and Tom Kelly who wrote the book When people transcend the fears that block their creativity, all sorts of new possibilities emerge. Instead of resigning themselves to the status quo or what others have told them, they are free to speak their mind and challenge existing ways of doing things They act with greater courage and they have more persistence in tackling obstacles Martin Luther King said this this hour in history needs a dedicated circle of transformed non-conformists. The saving of our world from pending doom. Sorry, it's all quite deep, isn't it? And um, will come not from the actions of the conforming majority, but through the creative maladjustment of a dedicated minority. I believe, like, truly that we are a different community. That as we look around, that this is a different community with a different story to tell. And God wants to reveal to us the greatness of who he is. His redemptive heart, which is the story of Jesus amidst the disorder of the world. So the encouragement, I guess, is is to have creative confidence in our story, that we're a creative community made in the image of a created God. He's given us this redemptive vision through which being immersed in the story of Scripture, in life in the Spirit, we live by faith. We have confidence in what we hope for which frees us up to imagine and dream of a better way that points to Jesus. And with that, we're called to radical, radical obedience. Extraordinary faith rooted in prayer of ordinary, ordinary believers entering into the brokenness of the world around us. So we step alongside and step into what we see God doing in our midst. Midst. is always been a hard word to say, hasn't it? Midst. Midst. Um, we step into the disorder of the world, and we begin to participate in this new story. We begin to begin to partner um, in God's story of redemption, of restoration, and renewal. Our hope is in God's faithfulness. And so, I just want to finish. I don't know how I'm doing for time. Not timing it. Um, uh, just with just a handful, like a couple of stories of faithfulness. These are great but these are great by the way. But very noisy. Um, especially nine time. Okay. Um, so I was in Egypt um a few months ago and I was visiting at this at one point, visiting a church and visiting a Christian family, and I was with this Christian woman and, and Egypt I don't know how much you know about it, but it, it seemed like quite high and disturbing levels of persecution uh, towards christians especially in recent uh, years with uh, uh, many acts of violence and bombings of churches and and it's actually like on your id card you actually you get you have like what your religion is so everyone everyone has a religion but it's it's, you're not, if you're a Christian, you're not allowed to share your faith with Muslims. So, if you're a Muslim, you're allowed to share your faith with a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you're not supposed to share your faith. Um, and so, I was, I was speaking with this woman, and, and she was telling me the story, telling me the story of her family, and told me the story of her husband, her late husband, who, who unfortunately passed away. Um, and he had dedicated his life uh, to sharing the, sharing the news of Jesus, sharing the good news that he believed in. In like an incredibly difficult environment, an incredibly difficult place to do it, in a place where it, for him, what he was doing was essentially illegal um, and what he did was just taking these little booklets um, and just little booklets of the gospel and, and passing them, passing them out to people like disguised with other book covers and praying for people as he, as he did it and one day he, he I think he got this like angst and got this discontentment with it and and God enlarged his vision for it. And he decided, like, I, I, I need to reach more people. And so he, he called up the national TV network, which is a very bold and brave thing to do, considering what he is doing is illegal. Um, and so he called them up and just said, um, do you reckon I could advertise my books on TV? And they're like, well, yeah, OK, talk to us. What, what's the book? Um, it's the story of Jesus no, absolutely not, phone down um, and so he was like, oh, that's like obviously gutting but then he called back and was like, oh no, 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 I, I need to I need to do it, it's my job like, I need to pub- pub- publicise and promote what I'm doing because it's my job and they're like, okay, okay. Um, but you're still going to do the same thing, right, it's still going to be of Jesus and they're like, he was like, yeah, no, phone down and then he had this other idea, and I don't know where this idea came from, but he, he called up again and said, uh, if you don't publicise it, I'm going to go to the president. I'm going to call the president and say, Oh, like, would you mind speaking to this person? I don't think he was ever going to do it. I'm, I mean, I don't know, he may have done, but I don't think he was ever going to do it. But for some reason, they said yes. And they said, oh, they must have just like, I don't know. Something shifted and They're like, okay, yeah, we'll, we better do it then. We'll do it. But it will be we can't show the face of Jesus in whatever form it was in. Um, so we have to blur. We'll have to blur the faces. Now this advert went out on national TV across the whole country, and someone just forgot to blur the face. <laughs> and so it went out across the country. And this was of quite, a, quite a few years back, but as this woman was telling me this, this story, this was a while ago, she, we were sat in a restaurant and she was speaking in a hushed voice because she, didn't, she was nervous and she didn't want people to hear what we were talking about because um, it would have been dangerous to her. Um, and she was like shaking and she had tears in her eyes, but it was tears of joy. It was tears of joy. And she said to me like, ISIS is on the rise in this country, has been on the rise. There is more, there's been so much persecution of Christians recently. Yet I've never seen such a hunger for the story that we have. I've never seen people walking from the streets knowing that they may be abandoned from their families as a result because they're hungry for a new story. That was incredible boldness, incredible faith. And the last thing is a bit closer to home, um, but about six months ago, half a year ago, um, I can't believe it's that long ago. Okay. Um, I had an opportunity to, to basically—I I was in the midst of this discontentment and and trying to like figure out what's my meaning, like God, like God, there's got to be something more. And um, and I had an opportunity basically just to take a day a week, and I got—I just got to. Tell you that I, I, this story is, um, it's not about us, it's not about us as a church, um, but it, you just got to trust me, it's about God's faithfulness and what He wants to do. Um, and so I took a day a week, and uh, and like with my wife Carrie, we, we kind of just like decided to take that I'd take a day off a week, um, and with my Pattern group as well. We were practicing faith, so Pattern is a tool which we've been using here at KXE uh, to help us follow the way of Jesus. And so I was basically like honing in on the practice of faith. And so we thought, like, why don't we just give a day a week to, like, to faith, to exploring what all of this could look like when I've been so immersed in the other stories, so immersed by the different things that the world's telling me. That my expectation of what God wants to do had diminished, and so we took this day. I took this day, and it, and do you know what? It, at some, like, it was quite difficult. And I, I know we were in a, like quite a privileged position. Like, we had a roof over our heads, um, but like there were you know we we did money money was <laughs> tough at stages uh, for us. And I know this there's, there's people in far more difficult situations. Um, but in this time, like God was stirring some stuff up, like the stuff which had been dormant for a long time. And it just looked like trying to notice again what I have and trying to notice the things, the passions, the gifts, the things that were deep down which had been pushed down. And so when I was kind of thinking about this, I just thought, oh, like football. <laughs> Quite simple, but uh, I like football. And, um, and the first week that and so i basically started trying to come up with this vision for for what it would look like to do a football project because this is something that i'd seen in other churches i'd seen in other churches seen in our church seen in in churches in other parts of the world where they'd used football as a, a way of bringing people together essentially using the vision of the church to take it beyond the church and into the community to say like anyone can belong like from whatever environment whatever background whatever history you have you can come together and experience something of the transforming power and the transforming love of god and so as i was like starting to think about this like it the first day i think john john carter um just said yeah we've got this meeting with the council and maybe we should bring up the football pitch again and um, to give you a bit of context this is a football pitch which is just across like about 10 minutes away on the caledonian road um, and a pitch which actually we used to play on so I'd played on it when I first moved to KXC in 2010 for about seven years and so that was where I found community here Um, and it had been left dormant for three four years, like went into disarray and so John has this um, meeting with the council and a chance to bring it up and so over the past few months, six months we've been exploring what it could look like to, to do that, to take this vision and the value of homecoming uh, that we have within the church Um, and just to like see where there's something broken in the community and try and meet a need. Um, And I got this letter Friday. And I just want to read it and, and, yeah, I'll just read it. Um, So it's from the council. Dear sir slash madam. It's not the good bit. This is to confirm that Islington Council are working with Kings Cross Church in enabling community activities to be delivered from the Cali Pitch. The Cali Pitch will be licensed to Kings Cross Church, which will work with the council to meet the community need across the Caledonian ward through this facility. If you, were, the rest of it's boring. Um, like I, there's a long way to go with this. Like we've not got the license, we've not got the money, and. Um, and it's not actually just about this project. There's so many brilliant projects and so much brilliant work going on across this community through the church uh, and like beyond the church in the local community. Um, but what excites me is the fact that the church is able to meet a local need in the community and that the council are recognising that the church has a story to offer in all of this. I bumped into a guy I know uh, in Angel, and um, he he's, doesn't go to church. Uh, but he, we just got into conversation, and he said, Oh, what are you doing now? What, what are you up to? And I said, I'm working for a church. And he said, Oh, what church? I explained, okay, see um, And he said, like, Oh, where's that? And so I tried to explain this building to him. Um, and he said, No way. That's my favorite church in London. Like, building. He's never, he's never been in. Favorite church building and I was like I was like really? like it's I love it uh, it's great um, but you know St Paul's is like other like nice buildings and he, and he said yeah like, I, I stand opposite it every day on my way home from work I get the bus from just across the road there and it kind of like it looks like it's like being pushed out of the road it looks like it's being pushed back it's like not really found its place but it's sticking there it's sticking and it's pushing its way back into the center of the community and like what a beautiful vision of what God's doing like my heart is that like he would come to come inside here right and say that's the best church in London not that it matters which is the best church in London Um, but like we have to have creative confidence Because I think God wants to release And we can see it in all the amazing things that are going on. All the stories that we've been hearing over the last few weeks. God's releasing creativity and confidence so that we might have good news. We have good news so that we might tell good news. We might share it in new ways. The world is crying out for a different story. And, And I believe the story of Jesus is the most compelling there is. And it's just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. It's a story of hope, of peace, of joy, of love. And we're all invited to play our part.